Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. So I have the privilege of introducing Jesse Van Bergen this morning. Let's give Jesse a round of applause. So Jesse, he grew up in this area in this church, so a lot of you probably know him. Maybe you taught Sunday school, maybe nursery, maybe you remember him in his youth group days because, man, some of the stories I've heard about the... <laughs> some of the stories I've heard about youth group back in the day are, are uh, delightful. That's a great word, delightful. Yeah, so he's married to Danny Van Bergen, who also grew up in this church and has three delightful children. Jesse and I were in the same small group for many years, and we have also served on the board of elders together. In both of those settings, what I have learned about Jesse is that he is a steadfast, faithful man who wants to serve Jesus, his family, and community to the best of his abilities. I have so appreciated the times when Jesse has discerned something and spoke and has spoken up about it in a powerful, honoring way. While he isn't one to speak a whole lot, his presence and his speech carries spiritual authority. I believe his acts of obedience to Jesus in several areas has created and continues to create space for others to be obedient to Jesus. I have learned from you, Jesse, what it looks like to be faithful in times when maybe you don't... um, see or or feel Jesus' presence, but you continue to be faithful, you continue to be pursuing Jesus with all your heart, and that is something that I have um, watched you and Danny do, and I've learned from you. Thank you. Does this sound good? Man, people weren't wrong. This is, it is a weird thing to be introduced like that and be like, wow, somebody thinks that of me. There's all kinds of pressure now, but, but then she also said, you know, it's nice when people bring their gifts and sometimes fumble, so you lucky people get to be here for my preaching debut. (laughs) God has a sense of humor. You see that when you're asked to preach a sermon, and God is already stirring in you an ironic topic that He wants you to speak on, that God wants your yes. You then proceed to vacillate and second-guess, avoiding confirmation that you will indeed preach until just before the deadline. You give your yes, you'll preach the sermon God is asking you to preach. You look at the available dates, and out of the three months of Sundays you had to pick from when you first felt God's prompting, you're left with July 18th, today, right smack dab in the middle of allergy season. (laughs) Kind of like a soft reminder from a smirking God, you could have said yes sooner. (laughs) It's okay, I'm here, you're here, Kleenex box is here, and we'll get through this together. So now that I've told you the topic, you're probably wondering what I mean when I say God wants your yes. As Christians, or as people who have been around Christians a lot, it's obvious that God wants your yes to His invitation of salvation and making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But there's so much more to that than a get-out-of-hell-free card. Jesus said in John 10.10, He came that we might have life and have it to the full. And as a relational God, He wants to work in us and through us, transforming us into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, says 2 Corinthians. And because He gave us free will, He needs our consent and participation in this process. 
something that, I, that stuck out to me when I was in Bible school. One of our guest teachers, at the end of his time with us, was pitching their summer camp that they run in, um, after the, the normal school season, and uh, he said that they could use volunteers for the summer. But what he said was, if you're coming to us with all kinds of talent and, and uh, you know, all this Bible school knowledge and you're going to carry the kingdom of God on your back, we don't actually need you. He said, what we love to see are the people that don't know what they have to offer, but are willing to step out and trust God. And that, that stuck with me. <clears throat> so, what does God require? We look at Gideon in Judges 6. Starting verse 11, Gideon was hiding. He was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the oppressing occupiers in his country. Not exactly what you picture when imagining the hero who will save the nation. Gideon has all kinds of disqualifiers for himself when he encounters God. God has abandoned us, verse 13, and my clan is the weakest and I'm the least in my family, verse 15. Not only does our hero think little of himself, but he doesn't even believe God cares about or is with Israel. I really love taking a realistic view of the people God uses in the Bible, our great champions of the faith. Weak, afraid, bitter, vengeful, angry, proud, given to vice and sin, and, 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 and. Just read the Bible, they're all in there. Real people. And I really think God did it intentionally to show us that in spite of ourselves, He chooses us and builds his kingdom anyway. God shows up in front of weak, afraid Gideon and injects his truth into the circumstance. He says in verse 12, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. No background check. No skills test. Not even a, do you think God can do mighty works? Doctrine question. Gideon answers, but sir... God knows Gideon. He knows all of his disqualifiers. He knows his doubts and the fact that he'll ask for multiple signs with wet fleece and dry fleece. And, and yet God declares his reality in the first words of the encounter. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he invites Gideon to give his yes and participate in the great work God is doing. We look at Moses in the book of Exodus. Moses, the great prophet of God, leader of Israel, and apparently the most humble man who ever lived. That's what the Bible says. Up and murdered a foreman one day and hid the body. God speaks to him from a burning bush to send him on his first mission. And Moses responds with a lot of, what if this, what if that? I, I st 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 stutter. God gives him a whole plan backs it up with signs of power, and still Moses has excuses. Later on in, the, in his time as a leader, God tells Moses to speak to a rock for water for the people. And the people have Moses worked up into such a fit that he smacks the rock and cancels out his chance to enter the promised land. Another real person. God tells him in verse 3, or, sorry, chapter 3, verse 8. So I have come down to rescue them, his people, 
from the hand of the Egyptians, and I am sending you to Pharaoh. God could have used other means and other people to achieve what he wanted, but he invited scared, pouty little Moses to give his yes. Not exactly a long list of credentials preceding the invitation. We look at Jesse. I'm an elder on the board of this church. Now, you probably look at me and think, he must be older than he looks, or at least he's so mature for his age. I was just talking to Michelle this morning, and she was reminding me of rem reminiscing about the times when I was in, in uh, Sunday school, only, only a few years ago. Um, yeah, you might, you might think with all that wisdom, he must have a few years of seminary or college under his belt. And I'm sure you'll be shocked to learn that's not the case. My credentials look a lot more like some of our Bible heroes, like that of a banged up and deficient person that God invited to give yeses and be part of what he was doing. There was the time God wanted to work on my marriage. My wife and I decided to do an intensive week-long marriage conference that hinges on leaving nothing hidden and engaging with the work that God wants to do in our spirit. Sounds fun, right? No, not really. So from my perspective, there are some great Christian people that are totally gung-ho for anything and everything with a Christian or a spiritual overtone. Kudos for enthusiasm. Good for them. That's not generally my experience. I often feel no real desire or excitement to engage with these things. My response is often one of somewhat grudging obedience, but recognizing that if I choose to engage with whatever God is doing, he will use it to do something good in me. So that being said, two weeks prior to this marriage conference, I obeyed God and talked to my wife about struggles that I had had for a significant portion of my life, things that affected our relationship from the beginning and continued to cause problems in our marriage. I had never talked to anyone about these things before, and let's be honest, those conversations suck. <clears throat> it's never fun digging in the slot piles in our lives and neither of us enjoyed it. But it opened up another level of depth to our relationship. The night before the conference, we got emails letting us know that we were going to be table leaders for the week, and they explained what that entails. You're supposed to share your story first and tell why you came, what you're hoping God to do during the conference, and uh, just generally navigate the group through workshops and discussions. So that's a little uncomfortable already, but manageable. That night, I'm brushing my teeth before bed, already having decided what I'll share with the group, when suddenly God starts telling me what He wants me to say. And I had some choice words for God detailing what I thought of that plan. And the gist was a solid no. But it hung there in the air for long minutes while I stared at my opportunity to give my yes. And I pictured the reactions from these people I hadn't yet met, probably nice Christian people that would listen to what I had to say and either awkwardly look for another table or try exercising demons out of me. I don't think I gave my yes so much as said, fine God, you want this? It's on you to get him off my back. Still in my mind the morning of was the thought that probably there was going to be a way out, that the time for me to share wouldn't come up or something. Sitting down at the table that morning, we met our group all people that we were somehow connected with. We knew the same people they did or had known each other as kids, etc. So not total strangers that, you know, didn't matter if we 
never saw them again. I still thought about backing out on it, even as I opened my mouth to share. But when the moment of truth came, the truth came out about how from nine years old I had been completely addicted to pornography and masturbation, lusting after women everywhere I went, unable to go a day without feeding my addiction. I don't know how much most of you feel about these kinds of things. Maybe that doesn't faze you. But at the time, that was basically taking the darkest part of me that nobody knew and putting it on the table for these people to inspect and judge. After I shared, my wife Danny shared about woundings from her childhood that had affected a lot of her life and our marriage as well. Now, I sat back, having pulled the trigger on what I was supposed to do, and waited for the expected fallout. Far from, far from our expected outcome, everyone at our table expressed genuine appreciation for sharing as we did, and said several times throughout the next few days, how had we not shared, or had we not started things off as we did, they also had tamer, easier things that they planned to share when the time came to tell their stories. The people who facilitate the conference spend a lot of time praying and listening to God in grouping the couples into their table groups. Whenever, when everyone in our group was done sharing, it was really crazy the similarities um, in our stories and experiences that ended up binding us together. That week, our group experienced some amazing breakthroughs, both in our marriages and in our spiritual journeys. We're all still friends, actually, and carry much of what we learned there through life still. Now, I often have a hard time uh, receiving praise well, but it was a big deal for me to hear multiple times from our group, thank you for stepping out like you did. We wouldn't have opened our dark places for God to work in if you hadn't been vulnerable like that. Because of that, we got so much out of this. God doesn't require us to be perfect before he'll use us. He's kind of like a hobbyist. He's a thing for fixer-uppers. So, what does yes look like? Well, it's probably rarely the same from person to person. Aside from giving your yes to salvation and making Jesus your Lord, which is the most important yes of all, your yes will probably look a lot different from everyone else's. Now there's something important to consider. We can actually make a trap for ourselves by saying yes to a lot of good things. Kids ministry, camp, school sports, worship teams, Bible study, fundraisers, visiting seniors, street evangelism, fixing the neighbor's leaky roof. They're all good things. And there's thousands more. But we also need to recognize that we are human and only have so much capacity. Saying yes to everything can easily lead to burnout. We've been there. It's a hard place to be and a hard place to come out of. There's also other risks. If we are occupied with too many good things that God isn't necessarily calling us to, we can A, miss seeing or not have capacity for the things that He is calling us to, or B, because we are filling that space, someone else who God has actually prepared for it sees that space occupied and doesn't come forward. That's why it's so important 
to always be asking the Holy Spirit what to step into. Sometimes, giving your yes to God looks like walking up to the most powerful man in the world with your stick and smelly sheep herding clothes and telling him to lay off his empire's entire workforce with severance and, bo severance and bonuses pronto. That's what it meant for Moses. Sometimes, giving your yes looks like taking 300 nutcases that have no fear or maybe common sense, charging a million-man army with jars and trumpets. That's what it meant for Gideon. Sometimes, when compared to stories like that, our circumstances seem pretty mild. And yet, in that moment, it seems like a giant facing us down. Sometimes, giving our yes means going to that family member that we have a long history of wounds and dysfunction with, maybe still ongoing, asking their forgiveness for whatever your part of the problem is, even if it's a small part, and putting yourself at their mercy. It could be sharing the gospel with that coworker you're pretty sure is an atheist and did jail time. Listening again to the life story of that gas station attendant that has no one else. Praying for and blessing your government that you strongly disagree with. Giving a car to that broke single mom. Taking a different job than you aimed for so you can spend needed time with your family. Fill in the blank. It can look like so many things. See, saying yes to God rarely leads to something comfortable or easy. That Tozer quote from Dave Deeth's message a few weeks ago stuck out to me. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If you get a chance, go back and listen to it. I feel like there's a lot of tie-ins from that, that message to this one. If we believe God is untrustworthy, why would sane people ever put themselves out there to be hung out to dry? Giving your yes to that God would be terrifying. That is not our God. Our God never lies, never fails, and never leaves. There's a pile of scripture that spells this out for us. I'll just share some because I forgot the big list at home. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Amen. Amen. That's who our God is. He invites us to be part of what He is doing. Sometimes, that's great things for the larger kingdom of God. Sometimes, it's just something He's doing in you. For years, probably as an adolescent, I had a sense that I, wasn't, I, that I was supposed to be on a worship team. Early on, I ignored it, and later I actively avoided that call. I had some big issues of fear of what other people thought, something I still wrestle with at times. I'm sure very few people knew that I actually had any musical ability at all. It was some time after my wife and I 
had burned out from too many good things and started to recover again, that God brought up the worship thing a little more strongly. I resisted still, but I felt it was time, or I felt God say it was time. It was during a sermon of Greg's. I have no idea what it was about because God and I were having our own totally separate conversation. I said, okay, God, I'll do it. Right after the service, I went to Jody and asked to come on a worship team and told her about it all so that I couldn't back out. Sometimes that's important, telling somebody so that they can hold you accountable. I was sweating bullets the first time I was on. Now what people don't realize is that when I'm leading worship up here, my worship isn't singing and playing guitar. Lord knows there's a hundred people more talented within throwing distance. My worship is the act of obedience, the saying yes to God and stepping into what He's asked of me. To reference Dave's sermon again, that's more like the inconvenient or sacrificial worship. More like a, okay, fine, God, than a yes. Feeling like this is out of my comfort zone and I'm really not thrilled about it. But I guess I'll do it. He doesn't leave us there, though. Every time we do that and we see God show up, we move, we move further into that expectant and eventually extravagant worship. So what will God do with our yes? Well, you don't really know what to expect, especially if you're new to giving God your yes. He might, I don't know, obliterate the superpower of the ancient world with plagues in order to free an entire nation from slavery load them up with wealth, lead them through a desert with pillars of fire and cloud, and split a sea for them to walk through? He might cause that million-man army of oppressors to attack and destroy itself, cause the survivors to flee in fear and bring about 40 years of peace for his people. He might cause that family member to respond against the norm and against all your expectations, reconciling the relationship and making it better than you thought possible. Sometimes, let's be honest, we don't get to see the results. For a long time, maybe not even on this side of eternity. And that can be hard to live with. It forces us to trust in God's promises and lean on the experiences when we did see results. God says in Isaiah 55:11, My word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. A promise that I've grown to lean on when I don't see results. And there's an experience that often comes to mind that I lean on. Danny and I were just becoming aware of our authority in Christ to declare his truths and call into being things not yet seen. By the way, did you know that we have all authority in Christ? Anyway, we were somewhat new to, to this and not brimming with confidence yet. Some friends of ours came up for prayer one Sunday. They had been unable to have kids after trying for many years. And they said, we just want what you guys have. And at the time, we, just, we had Aubrey with us. 
So we prayed for them. There was nothing wrong with the prayer. It was just kind of weak, you know, almost like a, God, please help the Oilers win this one kind of a prayer. Afterwards, I just felt like I wasn't done. Like God was saying, there's more I want you to speak into that. The following Sunday, God was all over me with the sense I had to pray for them again. Okay, God. So after the service, I turned around and said, guys, I just felt not done when I prayed. Can I, can I pray again? They said, sure. So I prayed, declaring God's goodness and His good plans for this family and called out babies in Jesus' name and all kinds of good stuff. Okay, did what I was supposed to. I can go home now and hope for the best. I think it was like two weeks later, with big smiles on their faces, they told us they were expecting. They have three wild kids now. Now, I said nothing magic. I did nothing special. But sometimes I think God just does that. He lets us have a tiny little part to play in what He's already doing, just so that we can give our yes and see it confirmed. What will God do with our yes? Stretch us, use us, teach us, and shape us. It's not easy, but it's simple. Luke 12, 48 says, From the one who has been entrusted with much, much will be expected. Guys, we've been entrusted with gifts, talents, skills, dreams, visions, salvation, eternal life, and the love of God. We've been entrusted with much. So I'll close with this. God will not leave you not hate you and not punish you for not giving your yes. That's not who he is. He invented grace and he loves passing it out. Either somebody else will say yes or he'll just go around us and accomplish his will another way. <clears throat> but as a good loving father, he invites us to be involved with him because he loves us. Now, as a dad, I love horsing around with my kids and playing kind of wild. So often I try and coax them into climbing something with me or jumping off something with me or running through something with me. Aubrey and Corbin are just playing wild and don't take much convincing. Our middle, though, Emerson, she's a lot more he hesitant. She really thinks things through and doesn't always go for it. But the times when I watch her hold back and struggle with her fear, and then push past it and make the jump into my arms are some of the best moments I've had as a parent. It feels so awesome and I'm so proud of her that in spite of her fear or doubt, she decides to trust me and has a lot of fun. And I think that's how God feels. Matthew 7, 9 to 11 says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, you, will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? We have the Holy Spirit with us, and we can ask Him what God is inviting us to step into, and He'll answer. So I challenge you to ask, 
what yes are you asking me to give God? He's a good father. He loves you, and he's excited for what you're going to do together. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ, and then make him known.